Hello, welcome to Braveful, a podcast with and for achieving women. I'm your host, Amy Zeigert. I'm so excited to share with you stories of women who are brave and gutsy. This show is a weekly view into the hearts and minds of what has enabled these fabulous ladies to take a leap and go forward with bold ideas. So join me in an opportunity to listen, learn, and lean in, Braveful style. Hello, hello, Braveful listeners. Thank you very much for joining me today. Today, we have the pleasure of listening to a conversation that I had with Stormy Lewis. And Stormy Lewis is the author of the Sophie Lee Trilogy. She's the author of Surviving the Storm, as well as she is the host of Bookish Chatter. So, you know, she's truly a, a story-sharing guru, and you're going to get to hear some of her stories. And, you know, quite honestly, this being the month of suicide awareness, you know, we talk a little openly about suicide awareness. We talk about mental health and, and how she grew up in a don't ask, don't tell mentality when it came to her bipolar disorder or her ADHD or her anxiety. So I encourage you to listen, learn, and lean in to hear her braveful story and how she was able to get out of a bad relationship, get out of get out of her own head basically and allowed her to flourish and to take all of her experiences, both negative and positive, and really do some great things. And if you're really interested in writing a book, she talks about how she wrote books in weeks and months versus years and years. So it's really all about diving in, taking a chance, and making shit happen, basically. Um, you know, how can you make it happen? And what do you need? Um, what's that encouragement that you need in order to get into your braveful way? So thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and I hope you will visit Stormy at Chasing Stormy and Stormy with an I. Um, I think you'll really find what she has to say wonderful. Again, thank you very much. Have a fabulous day. Thank you, Stormy, for being here. Really, really appreciate you coming to talk to the Braveful listeners. It's great to have you here. So um, everybody, I am talking to a great author and a woman who has survived her own storm, Stormy Lewis. So thank you for joining. I guess there are a myriad of things we could talk about, but I would like to first talk about you and your surviving the storm, kind of your journey. And then I'd like to get into your books um, and how, you know, how much of you is represented in your books um, and kind of as a, a way to entice people. If you have a fun story to tell, maybe it's not about yourself. It's about, you know, your alter ego, your alter person to, you know, take a risk and do it. Because I think there's enough self-help books. Let's let's look at something else that could get a little more creative and take us out of this COVID funk. Yeah, definitely. My name is Stormy Lewis, and I my clients like to call me the story sharing guru because I am avid that it doesn't have to be nonfiction. Everybody has a story that needs to be told, and I am so avid as to getting your story out. Because when I was born, I was unknowingly bipolar. And I remember having my first suicidal thought around five. And I was actually so scared of myself. I didn't feel like I could even tell my parents about it. 
and kind of divided myself into a good stormy and an evil stormy (laughs) just to, because I knew that that wasn't my best version of me. And I don't know why I was designed that way. I, for the longest time, I would, I just felt like I would had a curse on me. And so books were one of the ways that I actually survived. Um, when I was too manic and I couldn't sleep, I read under the covers with a flashlight. And when I was too depressed to get out of bed, you know, my dad would tease me with a book and I'd jump right out because <laughs> he knew how much I love stories. And it wasn't nonfiction books that I was reading at that age. It was, and they weren't bestseller books either. So that's why I kind of hate that society tries to tell you that your story is not worth something unless you're a bestseller. Because I don't believe that to be true at all. Because it's such... I agree with that statement because I think everybody thinks that a podcast needs to be Brene Brown or someone else. The average woman or the is still achieving so much and they need to be recognized. I totally agree with your statement. I mean, honestly, I looked up the statistics recently just because I was curious too. And back in 2019, there were over 328 million Americans, but only 45,000, which is less than 1%, of the population was actually sharing their stories in some sort of publication, whether it was a book or a newsletter. So think of all those people that have always said, I wanted to write a book. I have a story to tell, but they either feel like it's too expensive or they just don't know how, or they don't think they have the time for it. Right. So I actually, I can consistently publish a book every six months. I can write it in a month. I can edit it in a month. And then I can play for four months of marketing because that's another side that I really enjoy. And I I made sure that that I, (laughs) well, and here's the thing. I was doing it while working full-time job. I was helping take care of the OG storm chaser um, who had vascular dementia and helping my parents. And the best way I could do it was, is a commitment. You, you commit to actually doing it. So I would get off work at about three 30 every afternoon. And then I'd say, okay, I'm going to grab something to eat. And I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to write for two, two and a half hours. Cause there's a couple of things that come into play for me. I found that no matter how much I enjoy planning my life, If I put any restrictions, like I have to hit a certain word count, I have to hit a certain page count, uh, my writing sucked and I had to turn around and do it again because I was putting too much pressure on reaching a goal instead of letting the story write itself. So I quickly was like, this is not working for me. Now, I have friends that are avid outliners. They are character, real development, and I love them for it, but it just does not work for me. So my biggest thing is, is that you have to find what works best for you. And if that means you write better in the morning, then you figure out how to write better in the morning. I have a a couple of friends that have like three children and they get up at 5 a.m. to write before everybody wakes up, you know. And that works for them. So I really kind of try to work with people where I can say, okay, what's your schedule like? When do you best function? Let's figure it out. So I would write for a couple of hours when I got off work. And then I have to shut myself down at about 6.37 because 
I have ADHD and chronic anxiety as well. And I have a really hard time being able to slow down enough to really rest. So I shut everything off. I shut off social media. I don't watch TV. I was watching Criminal Minds and then I kept finding myself at 1 a.m. because I was so invested. (laughs) So now I watch shows that I'm not invested in like Bob's Burgers or Family Guy or something where I can just like play it in the background just to hear noise. And then that helps me wind down. And then I listen to Doxy's meditation because he's got great ones on like gratitude. And there's one called Just Sleep, where if you really just need to sleep, so he puts you into meditation. Doxy. So it's D A. Let me look it up because it's spelled funky and he's got a whole YouTube channel. Somebody had told me about it and I love him and he was a therapist and that he helps people sleep. And I'm like, yes, please. (laughs) And it comes with subliminal messages and stuff. So like there's one on heal as fast asleep. So it's Doxy. It's D-A. U, C is in cat, H is in Harry, S is in Sam, Y as in yellow. And you can find him on YouTube and he's got a ton on there. Um, but I love the, I have one on gratitude. I always listen to um, because gratitude just heals you in general. And I, I love that just sleep when I just need to sh- shut out the noise. And so I have to do things like that because I don't get a full even half sleep, whatever you want to call, I actually accomplish, then I'm no good the next day. And I know that. So I know I have to wind down at least about two hours before I have to sleep. But yeah, so when I was growing up to go back to that, see, I have ADHD, I go all over the place. But when I was growing up, I I was a dancer, I went to a really good dance studio. And Miss Jo was my Oprah, like she just... She was awesome because she always like her worst punishment for you was if you disrespected the teacher, you had to sit outside. And when your parents came to pick you up, you had to explain why you had wasted their hard earned money by disrespecting the teacher and getting kicked out of class. I mean, she was just a blessing. I take it you never got kicked out. Uh, No, but I saw the boys do it plenty of times that I was like, nope. Because we had some, you know, teenage boys and they were always running around causing ruckus. Um, and yeah, after I saw that her do that with one kid, I was like, yeah, no, never doing that. <laughs> she meant business. <laughs> she did, but she never like had to yell at us or threaten us. Like she just, she was the woman that just had class and everything. It was amazing. So between the dancing and the reading books, I kind of tried to develop my own bag of tricks because I didn't know what was going on, but I knew that I had to figure out how to try to at least seem normal around the kids. But the problem was, was that I actually ended up developing a people pleasing addiction. It wasn't even a habit. It was so bad because my mom would be like, why do you keep going back? Why, why do this to yourself? And I just kept telling her, you know, as I was bawling, I can make them like me. I just have to figure out how. And yeah, so that turned into, you know, two failed marriages. And the second one was 
you know, he was military, ex-military, and I met him right before he went overseas. So it was hard because to tell that he'd had already had a drinking problem because nobody was telling me anything, his friends, his family, nothing. And, you know, to go overseas and be shot at when you came from Spring Hill, M Missouri, Kansas, where like your graduating class was 13 and you'd never been outside. Yeah. So he was very <laughs> tiny town. So like, I can't tell you how I would have responded to that either. And he had bad friends that would say things like, here, drink this. You, you might never come back home. And I'm like, why do you say things like that? Like I was so frustrated. And then he would go over there. Well, they were required to be dry. And so I knew the man that he could be if he was sober. And so when he, by the time he asked me to marry him, he was over there for 14 months. So it wasn't, it was like a no hesitation for me because I knew I saw his potential and I knew what he could do, but then he came back and he was not okay. And he didn't want to get help. And his brother died shortly after. And that was really what sent him over the edge. And so he would do things like punch holes in our wall and I get so mad and he would just look at me and say I hit the wall so I don't hit you and you would have thought at that point that you would have been like okay I'll leave well here's the deal so <laughs> I didn't even consider myself a victim until like a couple of years ago I, I just I never do but in the beginning because everybody's always like why do you stay so long well in the beginning you tell yourself if you show them what love really is Right. They have to choose you. Right. Because you're giving them the best of the world. And one day they'll they'll see that and they'll appreciate it and they'll choose you. And then you get to the point where you're like, all right, that's never happening. But now I'm responsible for the society because I'm the one that can hide the keys. I'm the one that can empty the bottles. I'm the one that can make him sleep it off on the couch from the right. vodka flu. And I felt responsible to make sure he didn't drive drunk anymore. That's a big, big responsibility with a really big price to pay if it doesn't work. Well, and that's the thing. So, you know, being bipolar, I know what the trigger words are. I know what suicidal thoughts are. I get them on a regular basis. It's a part of it's a part of the package. That's all there is to say. And, you know, I never really paid much attention to them. I actually just count them. And when I get to a certain number, because I wasn't officially diagnosed till I was 22. So if I get to like five or more, I know I have to counteract it by doing other things in my bag of tricks. Then when I got diagnosed and I had a therapist and a psychiatrist, I just have to call and go, hey, we need to switch this up again <laughs> because your chemical makeup is constantly changing. Right. And it's no different than when you take like allergy pills and suddenly they stop working because your body becomes immune to them with your brain. Your chemical makeup is changing a lot more often. So you end up going through meds or switching dosage and then you have to, right. it's not a quick fix. So you have to wait it out and see if the side effects outweigh the benefits and things like that. So I wasn't diagnosed and I went away to college and I knew I studied better. And so I, I was the obnoxious nerd in the 8 a.m. classes, but I also did plays and we were rehearsing until 11 midnight 
whatever. And I got off a sleeping schedule and I can't tell you how long my manic episodes would last as a kid. All I know is my freshman year in college, it was six months and my body, we were trying everything. (laughs) It's a manic episode. So manic episodes are when the chemical that gives you that feel good gets really high. So for me, my, and everybody's a little bit different. So for me, my brain races, I'll talk even faster than I do now. And that's why a lot of people, when they get manic, they feel like they can do more things than what they really can. So that's usually when you're seeing people running through the streets naked, maxing out their credit cards because they just feel invincible. And I say voices in my head. It's not like schizophrenic. It's your own personal thoughts. But there's the little voice back there going, you are Superman and you can do this. And okay. so it gets you really you're really hyper and it usually you're not sleeping. Okay. Um, and so for six months, no matter what I did, I couldn't sleep. My body was physically exhausted, but my brain would not shut off. And so we were trying everything. My friends would make me listen to water, like waterfalls. And I was like, I just have to pee a lot. This isn't working. (laughs) They would try to massage me. And, you know, we were just trying everything. And it took six months because usually when you go high like that, you do eventually fall. The problem is, is that it's not standard. So it's not like you'll be high for three days and then you'll be low for three days and then you'll balance out. Right. This round, I was high as a kite for six months and then I crashed and I was I was depressed for about a year. And for me, when I get really depressed, sometimes it's kind of like having a captain's chair with good stormy sitting in it and watching life happen as a movie in front of my eyes, but good stormies wrapped in chains and gagged and there's nothing I can do. So if you talk to me, I would respond, but I wasn't invested. I wasn't participating. I was showing up doing what I had to do. And then I left. It was, it was very much a body snatcher kind of <laughs> where right. you want to be in control and there's just nothing you can do. Sometimes, for whatever reason, as a kid, sometimes I could pull myself out of it, which was a great thing to be able to do. Um, This time, we took a psychology class, and I had a whole chapter on bipolar disorder, and I was so excited. I don't think I've ever been that excited in my life because I always knew there was something quote unquote wrong with me, but nobody could, everybody was like, you're fine. You're fine. And I was like, I'm not fine. (laughs) So I told the teachers and the teachers were like, no, you behave fine in a classroom. And I, I was like, listen, my mom worked in the school district. Of course, I know how to behave in a classroom because if I did anything wrong, she knew about it before I ever got right. home. And I was I was the teacher's pet and I liked helping and I liked, you know, I'm a straight A student and I was a nerd. I loved school. So I was like, okay. So then I went home and I tried to tell my parents and my parents were like, no, you're fine. And I'm like, no, I'm not. So even though I couldn't get anybody to listen to me, it just was so satisfactory that I felt justified. I was right. I knew it was 
there was something wrong with me and I knew it wasn't my fault. And so I went to Vegas to help my sister out and I ended up in their guest. Well, it was the office and her ex-husband had painted it blood red ceiling and all Uh, yeah bars on the windows and they argued a lot I had already learned a long time ago that I feed off of other people's emotions so if you kind of think about it as people that get in an argument say comic book style you see the waves of anger coming off of them I'm on the other side just absorbing it and so if I'm not angry about something but I'm in a, a mob I'm going to get so riled up and I'm not going to be able to say, you know what? I'm not even mad about this. I have to actually remove myself from the situation to calm down and figure out if I'm really upset or not. So I was locked up in that bedroom a lot because they were arguing a lot and I didn't want to be a part of it. And I just felt myself going down that really dark hallway that I didn't want to go down because I knew where it ended up. So I took myself to the doctor and I almost grabbed him by the lab coat and was just like, listen, (laughs) I'm telling you, this is what's wrong and I can't get anybody to listen. And so he gave me a written test and I don't remember all the questions. I do remember there was something about obsessing about sex because they can, when you're bipolar, you can have, you know, the fascination and the high sex drive and stuff. It's that you can be an addict. And that's the only question that stood out because I was just like, really? (laughs) But I took it and I gave it to him. And he was like, yeah, so I'm going to send you to a friend. (laughs) And that started my getting help journey. And that poor first therapist, because in my family, we still don't really talk about anything um, when it comes to me and my disorder. And so that poor therapist would ask me questions and I would just be like, yes, no, yes, no. (laughs) Like that was it. (laughs) And now I've been in therapy long enough that I never shut up. So there's that. (laughs) So, So even after all that time, your family still does not acknowledge they don't like to talk about it. I, I don't know if like they feel like it because it is generational, it's passed on. And I don't know if it's guilt or just it's uncomfortable for them. You can you can tell um, they change the subject really quick and or they just act like I didn't say anything to begin with. So um, um, I just know that. So do you ever do you feel invisible sometimes? I feel like I'm not viewed fully, um, as in the fact that they feel some, a lot of them feel like they have this misconception of me in their head and they are like everybody else in the population that bases bipolar disorder off of what they see on TV. Okay. So they don't think that I have the capability of taking care of myself, even though I've never missed rent. My car's paid off. My car was paid off early. I mean, like I I hold down multiple jobs, but at some point you kind of have to get to the understanding that they will always have that vision or conception of me and there's nothing I can do about it. And till they change to not, you know, decide to change and not have it, 
But until then, I'm I'm not going to make myself sick anymore about being frustrated, about not being heard, or it's a vision, version of me that I will never be able to live up to because it's nothing of who I am. And I understand that. That's great. Yeah. That is great. I mean, it's it's no different than when you're like, okay, great grandma and grandpa and great, great, great you know, they're probably racist, but that was their generation. Grandmas, you know, are hoarders because they grew up in the depression era. My family doesn't talk about it because they're still of the generation that don't ask, don't tell, and you'll be fine. You know, you got to work for the man. And, you know, so there's just, I understand that. And I know that that's most likely never going to change. So I now don't make myself sick over it anymore. Yeah. And I think some people think when they think of, you know, manic that they think one flew over the cuckoo's nest, you know, they yeah. have a really Hollywood version of Britney what Spears shaving her head. Yes, right. exactly. Just, yeah. Whatever it is. Um, yeah. So, so how did you take all of that information about yourself, all of that, you know, highs and lows and how have you used that to your benefit? Because you clearly are an accomplished individual. So how have you been able to take all of that and, and channel it into something very braveful? It was survival at first. Okay. I think as a kid and all the way until that second marriage. And when he made the empty threat of I'll just kill myself. And I knew he, he was not the type that would, but in my head, and luckily I didn't say it out loud, but I was just like, please do. We'll both be free. And then I just hated myself. I'd never wish death on somebody else, but I'd ever, I, I also had never not loved myself enough to think that that was the only option to get out So I went in the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and my eyes were all sunken in and I had dark circles and I was a shell and that's, that's all that was there. And I realized at that point that if I didn't save myself, then this would not end well for me because I can't save someone that doesn't want to save themselves. And there was nothing more that I could do. And he got two strikes in and I didn't want to be a statistic. I never have. That's why I've never paid attention to the suicide thoughts. I think I just count them because I know I'm worth more, but it took an emergency divorce because he was very volatile. My anniversary of freedom is March 5th, Cinco de Mayo. That was the day that my anniversary um, of the judge granting the emergency divorce, and I had to change my cell phone number. That New Year's Eve, I was already sleeping in a locked bedroom at night just for my own safety, and I was packing up everything. He got mad, and he took off like he always does, and he went to a hotel to do whatever, And I called two men in a truck, got a moving truck, and I was gone by the time he got back. And I told myself, if I don't break this cycle, I will not last. And 
So I was taking marketing and business management at the time, but I was going to a community college. So there wasn't an internship program at the time. So I, I started a blog and I started getting Groupon coupons and I started just doing random stuff. So I would go do an archery class. Turns out I am not good with a bow and arrow (laughs) and uh, other people shouldn't be around me when I try. Um, And that's okay. But I would write a blog post and I was like, yeah, so it turns out I can't do this. Check, you know, and I was just being honest. But after I wrote that first blog post, something told me that this was going to be so much bigger And I just didn't know what, but I went ahead and I turned it into a company because I didn't want anybody taking my name or anything like that. Well, one of the things I did was yoga and the instructor said, hey, we're going to Belize for a week. You need to come with us. And I thought about it for three days and I was like, you've just got to do it because this is not something you would do is get on a plane and go meet 15 strangers. But I did. Only she didn't tell me it was a couple's trip. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> so I showed up. I am like the only single person and I'm like, hey, what's up? Oh, <laughs> but it was so fun because nobody was like throwing their coupleness in your face. You know, they were okay. great people. And she had told them about the blog ahead of time, I guess. And some of them even read it before I got there. And so every time I turned around, they were like, Stormy, you got to do this for your blog. And I'd be like, I don't think I need to eat a termite in the jungle. I'm good. But I did. And if you don't think about it, it's like having a breath mint in your mouth while you're walking through and you, you just can't think about it. But yes, I would, I'm afraid of heights and I bear crawled and butt scooted down the Talos Mayan temple and um, I almost drowned when I was little. So I, in the shower, I cannot stand to have my face wet. And I went snorkeling. So as I was like doing all of these things, I thought, man, I feel like I'm not being 100% truthful. And I knew that if I could share my story of my marriage, that there was a possibility I could help someone else that had been in my situation. And so I started on spring break. I wrote a book in a week and a lot of it was like, part of it was my blog post. So about the first two thirds is about me kind of finding myself. Cause I'm like, Hey, 35 single again. Woo-hoo. And there was like nothing out at that time about being proud about being single. And I just thought that was sad. So I was trying to like get people to step outside their comfort zone. And then the last third, I thought that it's time. So I sat down, that took the longest part to write, but I wrote it. And then right before I went to publish it on Amazon, he passed away. And I thought, oh my gosh, like, I can't publish this now because it, I mean, it was the truth and it was my truth and what is what I experienced it. But he had his own demons. He wasn't a horrible person. He just chose not to be a good person more often than not. And, you know, alcohol does that to you. And so I didn't want a disease. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I didn't want to be that one person that was like, he's a jerk, you know? Right. <laughs> so I sat down with a mentor and I said, 
So here's the deal. (laughs) She didn't know I had written the book. She didn't know that all of that had gone on. Wow. Every day that she saw me because she, and I could just see her jaw just dropping further and further until it almost hit the table. And she was like, I never knew. And I said, well, that was the point. That was, that was not what I wanted to be known for. And she was like, you have to tell this story. And she's like, it will save lives. She goes, but I think you should put that at the front of the book and not at the end. And I said, no, I have to disagree with you on that because here's the thing. Once they read that, that's all they're going to focus on. I tend to agree with that statement. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, yeah. And I wasn't writing to have you focus on that. I wanted to show you that if you decided to save yourself because you were in the same situation, I wanted to show you two thirds of a book that showed you it was possible, right? It wasn't all peaches and creams, but it was possible. And so if somebody could sit down and read surviving the storm and be like, wow, she's the world's biggest nerd. This is hilarious. You know, I, cause I was, being told by a lot of people, I feel like it's me telling the story, but you're actually doing it. So I knew it was resonating with people. And, you know, and I, I write like I talk, so I'm a dork and I'm like, ah, that didn't work out. Let's try this, you know? So I, and I just had fun, but then to get to that last part and be like, whoa, right. I just really wanted them to go, well, wait a minute. She did all of this. Right. But again, my vision, when I published the book, I thought it was just going to motivate people to step outside of their comfort zone. And I thought that was the only message I had to share. But all these women were coming up to me saying, no, I, I was realizing I needed to change my mindset was a big one that they okay. thought way too negatively about themselves, that they wanted to change their life so that they valued themselves more and self-worth and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So I wrote a thank you book after that because Miss Joe, my dance teacher, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. A lot of people were starting to pass, like the moms that had helped taking care of me. And so I feel for the storm is just a giant thank you card of kind of how I got the style class and a little bit of sass in me. But what a great idea to write a thank you book. Yeah. You know, I share like why that particular person had changed my life, whether they knew it or not, and how and why I am the person I am because of them. So Fuel for the Storm was that. And that's the book that the OG Storm Chaser would always talk about because I did a whole chapter of her. And she thought she was the coolest rock star ever. And it it made her day. And I love that. And then I was busy and I was trying to pay off my um, very expensive pieces of paper. So I was working multiple (laughs) jobs and then I got a job that was going to help me pay the bills, but it was travel insurance and COVID hit and Yeah. So I was the person at the end of the phone tree, which somehow gave people the right to release all of their frustration and anger and hatred and, 
you know, and I understood that I never took it personally, but here's the thing. I don't have to take it personally to absorb the energy. And that's the part I couldn't get anybody to understand. And then we were sent. That's an aha moment. (laughs) So for everyone who is out there listening, and, and this includes me, who wants to scream, yell, take out the day's week's frustration on that person on the other end of the phone, I'm apologizing right now. You are my person (laughs) because I am one of those people that would be that. Oh my God, you have just put a name and a face to that. And I'm going to be kinder and gentler the next time I'm doing that. I I am giving you that commitment. So not to interrupt you, but (laughs) holy cow, that is a moment for me. Wow. Oh, yeah. When uh, when I started doing customer service, because I've always so here's the thing before I decided to get an adult job, like I say, um, I was a professional dancer. I was a sign language interpreter. I was a lot of things, but it was all independent contracting. So you never knew when you were going to get paid. So I was I was doing everything. I was a hair model for Paul Mitchell. I was handing out flyers in a cowgirl outfit in front of the Frontier Hotel. I mean, it didn't matter. I was serving tables. I was bartending. I was doing Coyote Ugly. I mean, I it, Vegas is very independent contract heavy. And so I was doing whatever it took to, you know, get through. So I had all these jobs and a lot of them ended up because I do have a good personality and everybody loves talking to me on the phone. So, but that was a lesson that I learned really quick that now, whenever I call somebody, I make an honest, I'm like, listen, girl, I have been where you are. And I promise you, I appreciate you because I had to deal with unemployment and those ladies that would answer my phone, you know, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what I'm doing because I'd never been unemployed before, but COVID took my job. And so I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me out, please? And it threw them off how nice I was. And by the end of the call, like you could just tell it made their day. But yeah, that's what was going on was I knew and everybody was like, just don't take it personal. And I'm like, but that's the thing as a bipolar person, I'm not taking it personal, but I can't stop feeding your energy, even though it's coming through the phone and I'm not face to face. And right after I got hired, we got sent to work from home because everything shut down. Well, my home was my safe space. And now I had to set up a computer table and let people scream at me from my own living room. And that I knew would not end well. So I called my friend, uh, Shiera McComb, and I was like, listen, I got to find something that will balance me out. This will not because being I'm really good at being by myself. I like my company. I'm pretty funny. I like I'm great to take out on a date. I do it all the time. But when you go from me choosing to stay at home by myself for a night or two to forcing me to not be able to communicate with anybody except for through phone or Zoom, my anxiety and my ADHD has increased to a level that like I've never experienced before. And it was really hard for me. It just like it was for a lot of people. But the problem is, is when you already have that mental 
illness or whatever, anxiety alone, I mean, we know what it's like to have a panic attack and end up in the fetal position lying on the floor because you can't breathe and you're hot and you're just trying to get air back into your lungs. And it got even worse for me during the pandemic, just like it did for a lot of people. So I knew I had to do something or it would not end well. So I was talking to her and she was like, listen, you just got to start writing again. And I was like, yeah, I agree. Cause that I loved books so much. And I wrote so much as a kid, my teachers would say things like, Hey, Stormy, we we ask for a short story, not a novel. And I'm like, Hey, you got what you got. I, I can't, my stories write themselves. I don't, cut them off. I can't. So, so is is that how you came up with the key and the protector? Yeah. So what happened was she said, well, maybe there's a part two to surviving the storm. And I said, no, I really haven't done anything besides leave myself to the man so I can pay for my papers. And so I didn't feel like I could justify writing and encouraging people to keep, you know, like it just wasn't a good fit. And I laughed and I said, well, my mom had said I should write fiction because I don't think she cares that I was writing nonfiction and sharing with the world everything I had to say. And uh, so she was like, okay, well, what kind of stories do you have? And I'm like, heck if I know. And I said, well, there was this one story I started writing when I was in middle school and it got thrown away and I never finished it. And I, she was like, well, what was it about? So I told her and she was like, oh my God, you have to write this. I would so read this. So I forced myself to write again. And I sat down and I got about three pages in. And then um, my other friend, Mario came in and he read it and he was like, oh my gosh, this would be an epic trilogy. And I'm like, I'm sorry, this isn't a book yet. What are, what? And he was like, no, this would be a great trilogy. And from that moment, I couldn't get that challenge out of my head or my heart. So I was like, all right, not that I've written fiction before or a trilogy before. Let's go. What else am I going to do in the middle of a pandemic? (laughs) You wrote both of those books in the pandemic? Yeah. So the key was the first one. Um, I I wrote it in August of 2020. um, And it came out on my birthday because I really, I really had to be careful not to put too much pressure on myself because I was already struggling with anxiety and everything. So I came up with a system that made it enjoyable along the way. And then at first I was only going to publish a book every year because I thought that's what everyone did because my dad's a huge Stephen King fan and we buy it every September, October, whenever it comes out. And they were like, no, you can do it sooner. And so I got bit by a bug and I was like, fine, I'll wrap this up. I'll do the protector in May and then I'll do dead draw again for my birthday in the fall. And then while I was doing the key, (laughs) my dad got the bug because apparently it's contagious and he was so funny. And so it became a family affair. They became my writing team. He's my editor. And he was asking a lot of questions. And then before I knew it, he was like, hey, if I write a book, would you help me publish it? And I was like, heck yeah. So, but I've created a monster. So not only am I publishing my two books, but I am publishing his now two books. Um, and so I have- So, then, so, so are, are you self-publishing? Yeah, I'm doing self-publishing now. Um, I, am go- I am working on developing a hybrid publishing company for other authors okay. because- 
So my first book, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And I didn't want to stress out anybody else if I could spare them that journey. And so I actually started my podcast, which is Bookish Chatter. So I bring on different experts about different parts of the writing journey. So social media, podcasting, but I also bring on other authors so they can share their stories. So nobody ever feels like they're alone while they're wherever they are on their journey. So I started doing that, but then the OG storm chaser, we had to put her in hospice and then she passed shortly after. And I just, I got my love of stories from her and she's very much, she'll tell you she's a rule breaker and she takes no crap from nobody. And I absolutely love her and I wanted to honor her legacy. And so I'm working on building a hybrid publication because that way The authors will have more control. I'm not going to take away their creativity. They can design their own covers. If they need help, I can definitely jump in. I'm going to help market you. We're going to work together and I'm going to teach you how to share your story successfully. So that started just last week because she literally just passed last week and I started throwing all this stuff together. But I just, I can't sit back and not help other people. Well, it's, it's tough. I mean, it is tough because you got to have a lot of money, it seems like. Yeah. To get that done. So, well, yeah, it's actually a misconception. I have great people that I work with that don't cost because I'm the girl that will publish a book on a shoestring budget because I, I start with a negative budget. I, I don't even have anything to play with. And I've managed to still, I haven't hit bestseller yet, but that's okay. Cause that's not the priority. But then when the protector came out, I really broke numbers that I'd never broken before, because what a lot of people don't understand is if you're in a large category, like suspense, thriller, mystery, Right. And there's over a hundred thousand titles already that you're competing with. It's quite a bear to be able to. And then if you get like a James Patterson nor Robert Stephen King that publishes that day, you're really SOL. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing is that a lot of people are like, oh, you you're not even bestseller. And I'm like, I know, but that's not the point. Because as a kid, I was not just picking up best-selling books. It wasn't best-selling books. Right. And just because you're not a best-selling author now doesn't mean you won't be someday and you're going to hit that. Oh, yeah. So not everybody, again, not everybody comes out of the gate with the best and the best sort of a deal. I mean, I think that's part of society's issue is we all expect that we're just going to, we don't have to work our way up to it. We're just going to be right Right. there. Number one doesn't, you know, get that way. So, yeah. You know, but at the same time, like your story will still save a life, even if it's a fiction story, if a kid is not doing okay, I mean, kids get, it's so much worse than when we were kids Yeah. because when I was a kid, I could go home and the police didn't follow me in my back pocket on a device that would go off 24 seven. I could go home and I could walk away. And I would face it the next day with social media. Bullying is on a whole new level. And yeah. And so, I mean, adults feel it, kids feel it. So even if that's why I always stress, even if you don't have a 
nonfiction book to tell, your story will still make a difference. My crazy story of Sophie being a badass made my dad want to write two children's books. Like you have no idea what you're going to inspire, right. but you're not doing yourself justice or the people that are waiting for your story to be published if you never do it. Right. Yeah. No. So, so speaking of stories, so give me three books that matter to you. You know, during the pandemic, I had started Fear is Not the uh, Boss of You of Jennifer Allwood. She's Kansas City girl here. And I had stopped reading it because I started writing my own, but I picked it back up because I was like, I need to finish this. And The thing, I mean, it has a lot of great messages, but it was the first book that I had read that gave me permission to unplug Mm. and to not follow and try to be like everybody else. Because being like everybody else isn't going to get you noticed for the uniqueness and the awesomeness that you have to offer. So I really loved that book. Of course, the You Are a Badass series, you know from Jen Sincero. She's, she's one of my favorites because she, she has the attitude that I always had and I was always told to hide it. <laughs> so <laughs> it was kind of the first time that I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm okay just being me. And the why not me, uh, Mindy from Mindy's Projects. I love that too. I know it was more so about like her religion and, and that she was a woman and stuff. But it wasn't until somebody told me in 2019, because mental illness has such a huge stigma. And when I was originally diagnosed, I told everybody because I thought that would help them understand me better. And the price I paid was I got fired from every job I had at that time. People would walk by me and talk about me like in high school and point and whisper, but nobody would actually come and talk to me. And I lost friends and and a lot of things happened. So I was like, okay, this does have to be a don't ask, don't tell situation. And it was sad because my family was already not talking about it. I really didn't have a lot of people that I could go to. And then around 2019, I started getting that bug. And even when I put out my book, Surviving the Storm, I talk about labels, but I like very, I try to be as vague as possible because, you know, if if it gets out, you get fired. Like, because people think you're a liability and it doesn't matter how many times you showed up early, that you're a straight A student, that you work harder than anybody else on that staff. The second that comes out, it's like, well, and then you're gone. And most of those states are right to work states. So they don't have to tell you why they fire you, but it gets out. <laughs> and wow. so right before I turned 40, I was just like, you know what? Enough's enough. And I would be okay if I never worked for a corporation that didn't appreciate me ever again, to be honest. Yeah. And so I started the Be On TV boot camp that I did. And I met Jen and Chris, and it was the first time that they gave me permission to share my mess. And I started sharing a lot more. And at first I thought I'll get fired, but then I was laid off and I was like, oh, okay, well, that doesn't matter anymore. And 
I was worried when you grow up always being told you can't tell anybody and then you feel like you have this dirty, dark secret. But then when I started sharing that, I was like, my books still sell. Right. People feel, I feel freer. I am much happier because in 2019, somebody had made the comment of, you will never ever be able to truly accept yourself until you really accept all of yourself. And I used to believe that bipolar disorder and everything else that I deal with, I used to hate God a lot. I used to think, how could somebody curse a child with this? Like I was so livid for so long. And then I just realized that because I have a tendency to replay a lot of things in my head. It's like a freaking tape recorder and it's really obnoxious. But every therapist I ever went to and every psychiatrist was always impressed at how aware I always was of it and how I always did my best that I catch things before they can even have a meeting with me. And I tell them about it and they're impressed about how in tuned I am with myself and how I can catch myself. I mean, it still gets away from me for like a day or two. And, and, but I do eventually, and I do what I can to be the best version of myself So that way I can help as many people as possible. So playing all that back in your head, what brings you joy then? Being true to who I am and being able to share my story without fear. So, you know, in talking to women who are in the same position you are in, in, you know, giving advice is not what I want to say, but if there's a lesson learned that you could share with people that they could. So as, as we wrap up, if there's a lesson that you have learned that you could share with people, what would it be? You know, the biggest thing I ever learned was getting to know myself Mm. on the deepest of deepest of levels, because nobody else will know how I feel. Nobody else will know the chaos in my head And no one else can tell me if a medication isn't making me feel right or if I'm having a bad day. So by knowing myself, I can give myself my bag of tricks to keep me going. And when I can't and I know I need more than that, I know I can go get help. And there's no shame in that. I know that I. Yeah, I know. I also have to have grace with myself. My most favorite person has passed just recently, and I know it's going to be a struggle for me. So if all I can do in a single day is throw the covers off my legs, put my feet on the floor and walk to the kitchen, that is a win. And that is a win that I will celebrate because that is huge that day. I have to accept that things on my bad days won't get checked off my to-do list and that's okay. They can be moved on to the next day. Everything, it doesn't matter how small or how big, if it's a win to you and you feel like you did something, then you need to celebrate, have gratitude because even on your worst of days, you're not a worse person. You're not the most horrible person on the planet. You're just having a bad day and that's okay. That is a great way to end, just to get in touch with yourself, be grateful, and then make sure you go go read your books. 
Thank you so very much. This has been a delight. God, it was it was such an enjoyment to be here. Like I say, I always say, the more I can share my story and hopefully give you the confidence to share yours, the better this world is going to be. So thank you for allowing me to come and share my story. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. I don't know about you, but I sure am grateful for the opportunity to listen and learn from such great women. So if you enjoyed yourself as much as I did, please feel free to share Braveful podcast with your friends and colleagues, as well as please subscribe to Braveful on your favorite podcast apps. Have the best day ever. And until next time, be Braveful.